We're going to continue our study of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. If you have your Bible, I'd encourage you to open it uh, to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And, uh, and, and one of the problems in the church in, in Corinth, there were a lot of problems, uh, but that we've been going through, we've been looking at. We're going to, we're, we'll dive more into that in a minute. Uh, just a little bit, real quickly. Uh, a lot of you guys, you know, uh, I'm a cyclist. Uh, I love uh, to be out on my bike. I just, I, I, for me, it, it's, it's just, I, it's rejuvenating. It's, it's, it's like uh, renewing. Uh, it, it, it's less expensive than therapy, and it, and so I, some ways I think it's better. Uh, but I love being on my bike. I love getting out on the road, being by myself. Uh, I love getting uh, out in the vineyards, especially this time of year when the the leaves are changing colors. Uh, and stuff, but I love being out there. Uh, I love riding up uh, on like a little small herd of deer. Uh, the other day, I was riding out Gordon Valley Road, and I re- rode up on these four four young bucks, and they just took off running uh, across through this field and leaping, and it was just absolutely beautiful. And uh, and rode up on some other deer uh, in, in another part of the ride, uh, and then I rode up. I don't know. There must have been 50, 60 wild turkeys out there in these fields, but. But I just love being out there, and I love being uh, by myself and sometimes just praying, reflecting, thinking, uh, stuff like that. And so for me, it's just something that, that is really good for me. It's really, it's a good way for me just to kind of revitalize. And uh, by the way, uh, after the first year, I'm going to be doing a sabbatical. And part of what the purpose of the sabbatical is is simply it's a time for me to pray uh, it's a time for me just to seek God above all things. Uh, it's a time for me to, the, the thing is, is for me to be at my best, uh, for, for God, I've got I've to be at my best. Not, right now, I'm not. I'm not. So, uh, so I'm going to be doing a sabbatical uh, and, um, and, and just pursuing that time. So that's going to be something I'm doing and really looking forward to that. But between now and then, what I want to do is I just, I need these times where I'm out on my bike. Uh, where I'm, I'm pursuing this time where I get to just kind of be alone, be with God, all that kind of good stuff. So about three weeks ago, three weeks ago yesterday, I was out on a ride. It was a little bit longer than usual. And uh, for any of you who've ever done any kind of long-distance riding or if you've ever done any kind of endurance sports like running uh, great distances and stuff like that, when you get hit the 90-minute mark, uh, when you hit the 90-minute mark, you kind of hit this point where your body has exhausted all of its glycogen. And when your body exhausts all of its glycogen, uh, you just kind of, uh, it, the, the, the riding gets a lot harder. Or if you're running, running gets a lot harder. And, uh, and so most guys, what they'll do is they'll keep gel packs with them uh, in their pockets or they'll keep like a, a, like a uh, not a candy bar, but uh, an energy bar, which is a candy bar. Uh, it's just more expensive. And, uh, but, but, you know, we'll keep things with this, a granola bar, whatever. And uh, typically I'll do that. But I, I, three weeks ago I went out for a longer ride. And, and what happens is when you have depleted your glycogen stores, it just kind of affects you in a lot of different ways. You can't ride as fast. Uh, you, you're thinking. It affects the way you think. It affects everything. And um, so I was out. It was a longer ride. I, I rode for about two and a half hours. I started off by riding up Twin Sisters, which is kind of a, that's kind of a tough climb on a bike uh, if you've never done it before. 
<coughs> excuse me. So you climb a little over a thousand feet, over about two miles, and on a bike that's fairly steep. And so, so at this point, you know, I was finishing up my ride. I'd been out there for almost two and a half hours. Uh, I was tired. I was hungry. I was hangry. Have you ever been hangry? Okay, I was hangry. And uh, so I was coming up Abernathy, and, uh, and, and the road was wide open. It was a beautiful, beautiful day. It was just gorgeous. The weather was perfect, perfect riding weather. And so I'm, I'm riding up Abernathy, and, and the road is empty. So there's lots of room for me, and if there's someone up, coming up behind me, there's plenty of room uh, for them to pass me and, and be completely safe. Uh, and, and so I'm, I'm riding back, and, and what I have found in my riding is the vast majority of motorists are very generous. Uh, the vast majority of motorists are, are uh, very, very cautious and polite in the way they ride around cyclists. Uh, the, the, the law says you have to give a, a cyclist three feet when you pass. And what I have found is that most motorists are, are very generous. They'll give you a half a lane. They'll give you a half a lane, or if there's no one coming from the opposite direction, a lot of times, even though you don't need it, they'll give you the whole lane. And, and I have found that, that most motorists are very uh, cautious and careful, and uh, it's almost like they enjoy seeing you enjoy your time out on a bike. But there are some times when you get out on the road, and there are people who I'm, I'm pretty sure they despise the fact that you're having so much fun, Okay. I had one ride the other day. This was just a, I think it was last week. I had a truck coming up behind me. He's probably a quarter mile behind me, laying on his horn. I got off the road. I got off the road completely, completely off the road, and he never let off his horn. He drove all the way past me, staying on his horn, and kept driving on his horn the whole way. It was like, well, what's that about? So anyway, but this day, this day, uh, three weeks ago, I was hangry, so I, I was going to handle a horn a little bit differently. Uh, and so this guy comes up behind me, and instead of giving me the legal three feet, he gives me inches. And he gives me inches at a very, very high speed. Now, I've had this experience before, okay? And it's almost always irritating. It is. It scares you. It, it, you know, it just feels intimidating when something that weighs two tons is coming at you at a high rate of speed, and, uh, and, and there's, you have no protection, zero protection. I probably shouldn't tell this in front of my wife. Anyway, so this bike is coming up behind me, and, uh, and he does that. And inside of me, my hangry turned into rage. It just turned into rage. There was a part of me that wanted to have that candy bar so I could catch up with him, pull him out of his truck and, or a car, and, and, and tell him what I thought of him. And, um, but I just, I, I felt this, this, this anger turn to rage, and I could feel my right hand come off my handlebar, almost as if it had a mind of its own, and it really wanted to display its, uh, its fury with this other guy by uh, raising one digit above all the others, Okay. Now I'm a pastor of a church. You know, this really isn't, it's not a good thing to do, especially when you're so close to the people who go to your church, especially when the person in the car is Steve, okay? Just kidding. It wasn't Steve. It wasn't Steve. 
But, you know, it was like everything inside of me wanted to express my displeasure. And, and so with my hand off the handlebar, it took everything I had to take my hand and try to get it back on the handlebar without displaying my, my anger. Why am I like that? Why is it that sometimes I don't just struggle with anger? By the way, everybody experiences anger at some point or another. It's a common emotion. It's what you feel when you feel really afraid. It's what you feel when you feel really hurt. It's what you feel when you feel really frustrated. So anger is always tied to another emotion. It may be fear. It may be pain. It may be frustration. But it's a common emotion. And it's okay to feel anger. Okay? Anger is okay as a feeling, but it's terrible as a master. You know what I'm saying here? But what I'm talking to you about today is not so much anger or my anger, but what I'm talking to you about is something much more fundamental that all of us experience. And that, 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 that more fundamental thing is this, is, uh, is temptation. In my case, that temptation to display my anger with another person. And for me, that's not an isolated experience. I feel that temptation quite often. I do. I feel it, especially if I'm tired, if I haven't been sleeping. I feel it more when uh, I'm hungry. I feel it more these days when I'm feeling burned out. So, but what do you do with temptation when it feels overpowering. You understand what I'm, I'm talking about here? And so for you, your temptation, you may be like, Gary, I can't really relate to the anger thing. It's not something I really deal with. And I think, fantastic. Praise God. I am so grateful that's not your temptation. But the question is today is what is your temptation? Not mine. Not mine. What is your temptation and how do you deal with it? And today what we want to do is we want to look at this and we want to talk a little bit about how to handle temptation. And, uh, and before we do that, though, just to give you a little bit of context, what you need to understand about the church in Corinth is there was this incredible arrogance among these people. They were a people who were convinced that they uh, had this, this uh, special salvation experience. They put a lot of confidence in having been baptized, they put a, a lot of confidence in the fact that they took, they, were, they, they took communion on a regular basis. They were a little bit like, um, in, in, uh, in a moment ago, Stacy kind of alluded to this, where going to church becomes a checkbox. Because sometimes what happens is we begin to create checkboxes check of what it means to be a sincere follower of Jesus. We do this. We create checkboxes. You know why? Because we want to feel like we're doing really well. And so we create these checkboxes that tell us, hey, I'm a good Christian. I go to church every week, or almost every week. Check. I read my Bible and I pray every day. Okay, almost every day. Well, most days. Check minus. Uh, let's see. I, um, uh, I, I'm involved... In, in a ministry at the church. I'm involved in a ministry at the church. In fact, I'm involved in two ministries. 
Uh, I help with the sound ministry, check. And I also help with the men's breakfast on Saturday mornings, check, 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 check. That's my favorite ministry, okay? Eating a waffle, uh, four strips of bacon and three eggs, check, check, check. I mean, it's, you know, and what we do is we begin to come up with these lists and we create these boxes that we can check off that tell us how we're doing. I tithe, check. I, you know, I, I do all, I've been baptized, check. I, I went to church camp when I was a kid, check. And, and we create these little checklists. And sometimes if we're not careful, we think that checking those boxes defines our standing with God. If you check off enough, enough boxes, then you have a right standing with God. And the Corinthians were at this place where they were kind of complacent and arrogant at the same time. Arrogant because they could check off all the check boxes. They, were, they had all these spiritual gifts, all these different things, and yet um, they were not in a real healthy place spiritually. What I want us to look at this morning is we're just going to look at a couple verses, then I'm going to allude to a few more. But two verses here, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses uh, uh, 12 and 13. And what Paul writes here to the church in Corinth is he says this. He says, so if you think you're standing firm, if you think you're standing firm, if you've checked off all the checkboxes, all right? If you've checked off all the checkboxes, you feel really good about your walk with Jesus. If you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is, is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you're tempted, he'll also provide a way out so that you can endure. What does the Bible say to us about temptation and how to overcome it? And the first thing I think we need to look at, we need to think about, and that God speaks to is this. In verse 12, so if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Uh, one of the things that I want to tell you today is this, is that if you think that I don't really struggle with temptation. Sometimes we may go through a season of life where it feels like things are are moving along pretty well for us spiritually. Okay, I don't know if you've had that experience. Maybe that's where you are today. But sometimes things feel really, really good. We haven't hit any bumps in the road. We haven't felt this overpowering urge to lift our hand and express our displeasure with another person. We haven't, um, you know, we're not really struggling. We don't feel like with temptation. And, and part of what Paul says to the people is he says this, so if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Uh, the truth is, is that, that there could be seasons where we don't really feel the effects of, of temptation. By the way, when you're in a season where you don't feel the effects of temptation, understand that you are there by design. You are there by design. There are times when we can go through seasons where we don't feel temptation, and this is what you need to understand. You are there by design. And it's not God's design. It's the design of the enemy. 
See, what the enemy loves to do is he loves to lure us into this place where we think, oh, I finally figured out this Christian life thing. I'm doing pretty well. I mean, life is, you know, I, I don't really struggle with those temptations. I cannot tell you how many times I've heard this, even from pastors, about not struggling with an area of temptation and then watch those guys crash and burn the very thing they said they didn't struggle with. You know, I've seen this with guys that I really looked up to. In some cases, you know, were some of my spiritual heroes. And, and they were totally convinced they didn't have a problem. And I think sometimes what the enemy does is he loves to bring us into this place where we kind of, we, we, we get lured into this, this sense of, you know, uh, of complacency. I, I've got it all together. I've figured out this Christian life thing. You know, I don't really struggle with temptation anymore. And then what happens is the enemy strikes. You know, in, 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 in warfare, uh, the enemy never announces where they're going to attack you. You know, what, what the enemy wants to do is they want to catch you off guard. They want to catch you with a, a surprise attack. And so sometimes there's no evidence that the enemy is, is preparing to attack you. And then, boom, they hit you with everything they've got. And that's what our enemy does, is he likes to lure us into this place of complacency. And with that complacency, we don't even realize it, but we are succumbing to a temptation that we don't even see, and the temptation is the temptation of pride. He gets us with a temptation that we don't even see. We don't even recognize it as being sin. And we don't even recognize it as temptation. It's a temptation of self-righteousness. Thinking that somehow I've got it all figured out here. I've got it all figured out. I've got this Jesus thing. And what happens is we have a religion of self-reliance. We have a religion of self-righteousness. By the way, I think religion in the name of Jesus keeps more people away from Jesus than atheism. I do. I believe religion in the name of, uh, of Jesus keeps more people away from Jesus than atheism does. Religion is all about what do I do to make myself accepted by God? But the gospel is all about what has Jesus done? to make us accepted and acceptable by God. See, see, God doesn't accept you because of anything you've ever done or ever will do. He accepts you because of what Jesus has done. He loves you. And Jesus died for you. And that's what it is that puts us in right relationship with God, that he bore our sin on the cross, and he rose again, and he defeated the power of sin and death. Religion doesn't, doesn't pave your way to God. Jesus is the one who makes you accepted and acceptable by God. Um, if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. And the first thing we need to do is we need to be careful not to think too highly of our standing before God. Number two, uh, don't be surprised when you're tempted. Don't be surprised when you're tempted. Verse 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. You know, today... Uh, one of us here may really be struggling with a besetting sin. 
One of us here today, we feel like we're getting our rear end kicked week after week or even day after day. We just feel like that there's this, this, this struggle that we have, and it is uh, it's keeping us enslaved. And, and, you know, for different ones of us, we struggle with, with temptation, and, and it can look like a lot of different kinds of things. And this is what I want you to understand, is you are not alone. You are not alone. The Bible says that no temptation has overtaken us except what is common to mankind. That all of us are going to experience temptation. We may experience it differently. For you, you may not really feel this, this overpowering uh, temptation to lose your temper or to express your displeasure with others. Uh, for one person, it can look like anger. For another person, it can look like envy. For another person, it can look like greed or materialism. Uh, for other people, it can look like lust or gluttony or sloth or pride or self-righteousness. Uh, sometimes it looks like complaining, mumbling, grumbling, gossip. And sometimes temptation looks like idolatry. <laughs> idolatry. And, and before you dismiss that idea of idolatry too quickly, uh, you know, when I was a kid and I was growing up, I thought that the worship of idols is when a person bowed down and worshiped, you know, this, you know, this idol carved out of wood or, or maybe chiseled out of stone or, or maybe shaped out of metal. And I thought that's what it meant to worship an idol. For, but for us in the modern world, most of our idols aren't so much metal as they are mental. That, that, that sometimes an idol, it can look like, sometimes it can look like an addiction, like an addiction to drugs or sex or gambling. It can look like addiction. But sometimes idolatry looks like really good things. Uh, the other day I was reading this book by, by Tim Keller, and he was talking about that, that sometimes what we do is we make good things into ultimate things. And when we make a good thing an ultimate thing, that good thing becomes our idol. And so what he talked about when he talked about this kind of idolatry, he talked about things like, uh, it can include things like a career. Career is a good thing. I mean, with all three of my kids, uh, with my kids, I wanted them to go to, to college, or they're going to college now, or going to go to college, and they're going to study. But they're going to study something in a career field where they can get a job after they're done so they can support their dad. Yeah. So, but, you know, you know, but having a career is a good thing, but making your career the ultimate thing, is that a temptation that some people struggle with? That's a form of idolatry. When we make something good like a career or a hobby like riding your bike or making a boyfriend or a girlfriend or success and accomplishment or financial security or family. Did you know that you can make your family into an idol? When you make your family the ultimate thing, instead of making God the ultimate thing, you make it an idol, something good. I'm not saying we need to do away with all those things, although every once in a while there may be a family member that we might want to, you know, at least send away for a little while, okay? You know, we don't want to get rid of them. But, but the, the truth is, is that, that, that temptation is not an uncommon experience. Uh, that no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. That, that don't be surprised when you're tempted. You know, I talked about a moment ago is that sometimes we can go through these seasons where we feel like, hey, man, I, I think I've got that sin under control. 
You know, I've got that temptation under control. By the way, control is really all about us and very little about God. And we think we've got something under control, and then all of a sudden we get hammered. Not, not hammered drunk, but we get hammered with temptation, all right? And we get hammered with temptation. And, and what we need to understand is that, that don't be surprised that you're tempted, that, that temptation is common. Third, third thing we need to see in this text is trust in the faithfulness of God. When you face temptation, trust in God's faithfulness. So what the Bible says, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. People, that is, if you have your Bible with you, underline it, highlight it, circle it. God is faithful. That what we need to remind ourselves about when we are facing temptation is this, is that that God is faithful. We need to trust in the faithfulness of God. See, we need to trust in God's faithfulness, not self-reliance. A lot of times what gets religious people in trouble is it's all about self-reliance. But following Jesus is all about trusting God. So trust in the faithfulness of God, not self-reliance. Not trusting and trying harder. You ever struggle with a temptation? And so what you do is you resolve yourself to try harder next time? And what I found is the more resolved I am to try harder, the more discouraged I am when I fail. But it's because God is showing me I'm not enough. But he is, and he's faithful. Uh, fourth thing I want you to see is this, is, uh, is that, that God has a way out for you and look for God's way out. That, that what the scripture says, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. That God provides a way out. Uh, what does that way out look like? Well, sometimes it looks like your feet. Okay? Sometimes the way out of your, your temptation is just using your feet. It's, 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 it means, you know, uh, running as hard and as fast as you can. Earlier in 1 Corinthians, what did Paul tell the Corinthians? Flee sexual immorality. He told them to flee. Run like crazy. Use your feet. Flee. By the way, very next verse, verse 14, Therefore, my dear friends, flee, run as hard and as fast as you can, flee from idolatry. But sometimes the way out looks like this. It looks like running as hard and as fast as you can. Um, you know, I, I think we see that uh, in the scriptures. We see it with Joseph back in the book of Genesis. I think I talked about this uh, a while back. But where Joseph was being... Uh, there was this woman, uh, he, was, he lived in this home. Uh, his master was a, a person by the name of Potiphar. And Potiphar's wife was coming to Joseph again and again and again, trying to get Joseph to sleep with her. And, and finally, on one occasion, she comes to Joseph, grabs him by his, his cloak. And what the Bible tells us is that Joseph took off running, leaving his cloak behind, meaning that she like, was ripping his clothes off his body. And I think the reason that Joseph ran is because I think he was tempted. I think he knew that if he stood there and tried to resist, he was going to end up sleeping with her. And so he had to run. And sometimes that, that's what we have to do is that, that, that there's no sin in being tempted. 
but there's no wisdom in just kind of staying in it and, and, and when, when you can't. That, that sometimes the way out looks like using your feet. Sometimes using, the, the way out looks like memorizing Scripture. looks like memorizing Scripture. Where, why do I say that? In, in Matthew chapter 4, and also in Luke chapter 4, we read the story about how Jesus was in the wilderness. While he was in, in the wilderness and he was praying there and he was, he was meeting with God, <clears throat> in over 40 days he was praying and fasting. And Satan came to him and began to tempt him. And he tempted him three different times. And each time, how does Jesus answer Satan? He answers with Scripture. And so sometimes the way out is, is memorizing maybe a key text of Scripture. Number three, uh, sometimes, uh, sometimes the way out looks like uh, phone a friend. Uh, Any of y'all ever used to watch that TV show, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Yeah, Justin Tam went up before I said it, okay? Uh, but there was this TV show, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? And you had to guess all these questions, and if you got them all, then you won a million dollars. But one of the, the things that they did is that, that you were given one opportunity in those questions to phone a friend to help you answer a question. And, and sometimes the way out looks like phoning a friend. You know, it looks like, you know, it looks like saying, you know, calling up a, a friend, a buddy, and just saying, hey, bro, I'm, I'm really struggling, really struggling. Would you pray for me? Uh, it looks like phoning a friend. By the way, gentlemen, gentlemen, I would strongly encourage you. I, I, I really am a believer that every one of us should have three, two or three guys that we can call any time of day, any time of night when you're in a desperate situation. I do. I think that that working on and building those kinds of friendships, a lot of times, guys, we're trying to do everything on our own. We we buy into this Rambo way of thinking that we think we're supposed to be able to take on an army all by ourselves. And the the only place that that you take on an army all by yourself and win is, is in a movie. All right? It doesn't happen in real life. But all of us, we need guys. We need guys. You need someone besides your wife but someone you can call up when things are hard and you can say, bro, would you pray for me? Would you pray with me? I'm struggling. And, and you know what? It takes tremendous courage to do that. It takes tremendous courage. The other thing is it takes a whole lot of humility. And, and I'm, I'm just going to tell you that we need friends that we can phone when, when it's hard. And another way out can look like prayer. It, it can just look like prayer. It's that, it's that daily seeking God and asking him, God, this is something I'm struggling with. Would you help me today? Help me today. Uh, and, and tomorrow when you wake up, God, this is something I really struggle with. Would you help me today? But spending time not just praying for help, not just that kind of praying. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the kind of praying where you are drawn near to God and you are basking in his presence so that you are being changed from the inside out by God's grace and God's love and God's power. I'm talking about that kind of prayer. I'm talking about the kind of prayer where you can be still in the presence of God without looking at your watch, without looking at your calendar, without looking at your to-do list, but being able to be in the presence of God the way you would be with a friend. But I think when we begin to cultivate that kind of communion with God, uh, I think it can really help us with temptation. Uh, what does a way out look like for us? You know, that, that God's going to provide us a way out. Sometimes it looks like building new habits, new routines that are good for you. Now, 
Part of the problem with building routines is routines tend to become ruts. And the problem with building routines is sometimes it becomes something to check off our to-do list, okay? And when it becomes a to-do to check off our to-do list, we just ask God to change our heart and the way we do it. But what I am going to say is that sometimes we need new habits and we need routines, new routines. Routines and habits that take us away from maybe an old path that took us into that temptation and into that area of sin. God warns us that those who think they're standing firm need to be careful that we don't fall. God tells us that we shouldn't be surprised when we're tempted, that no temptation has overtaken us except what's common for mankind. And God encourages us, reminding us that he is faithful and that he'll provide a way of escape for us so that we can endure. Let's pray. God, today we want to praise you. We want to thank you. Uh, We want to praise you, God, because you are a holy God. You are a righteous God. And you are righteous in all of your judgments. But you are also a God who is good. You are loving and you are gracious and you are merciful. God, you are faithful, as what the text of Scripture says this morning. You are a faithful God. Uh, Even when we're not faithful, you are. And God, we don't want to put our trust in our self-reliance when we struggle with temptation. We want to put our trust and our reliance in you. God, teach us how to to rest in your faithfulness. Teach us, God, how to to look for the way out uh, so that we can endure in times of temptation. And I pray this in Christ's name and for your glory. Amen.